Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Cole Winans. Cole is the CEO and founder of Flyreel, the leading AI platform for property insurance carriers. Cole raised $18 million of venture capital for his company and ultimately successfully sold it earlier this year to LexisNexis. Prior to Flyreel, Cole served in various roles managing product, engineering, sales, and product marketing teams, and maybe most impressively, was the captain of a championship Canadian junior hockey team. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Would love to hear about your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, how you started Flyreel and then ultimately took it to a, a recent super successful acquisition. Yeah, I, um, in terms of my background, I'm a software engineer. So I've been writing code, building applications for a while now. I was doing that as a consultant for a number of startups, mostly in the Bay Area and had gotten the chance to see those startups uh, grow and experience success from the outside as a contractor or consultant. And after seeing that, it really gave me the itch to go out and build my own thing. And so I think contrary to common advice, I went out and started the company without knowing what I wanted to build and just started tinkering until uh, we eventually found product market fit. It's a much longer story than that. Maybe we'll get into the details in a bit, uh, but broadly, that's how we arrived at where we are. That's really interesting. You know, as, as you said, starting it without knowing exactly what we want to do is counter to <laughs> a, a lot of the conventional wisdom, right? Around the, the earned insight or whatnot. Love to just go a little bit deeper on your thinking there, right? And how you went about that and how you ultimately found the, the right thing to go after. Yeah, I think it was a good lesson learned for me. Uh, maybe as a consequence of that, I experienced a bit more hardship than I should have. <laughs> but I think I'm probably better for it. But I knew that I wanted to start something. So what I wanted to do was start tinkering, building different ideas to test them to see would any of them really create the foundation for a business. So Originally, Flyreel was more of a, a social video application. Back when Vine and others were really taking off, everyone was thinking in that direction, and, and so was I. Uh, we created a video platform where people could record videos and add video responses, kind of chaining them together, stitching them together into a reel, which is how we came up with the name Flyreel. Then you know we learned well you know this has to have some business value to be viable, so we started to focus on actually home repair, home improvement. So you know how do I fix this in my house? Someone could add a video response or even a video quote, and added some artificial intelligence to that, where when you asked a question, it would connect you to someone that could give you that video response. So we kept iterating, iterating, and iterating. And then we found ourselves in a situation where, man, we're going to be competing with Home Advisor and Adam and these guys, and that's not something I really want to do. So, you know, we took that and we said, well, we've built this AI, natural language processing. 
that can understand someone's need and connect them over live video. What if we took the video and, and developed some computer vision with it? We're in the home. Uh, could we potentially use video and understand what's in and around the home? So we developed some computer vision models. You could scan a room. It would automatically create a list of everything in that room. And at that point, we had mentors and advisors that said, all right, you have no idea what you have. The insurance market would love this. Today, they send out inspectors to understand what's in and around homes. Now you can do it automatically with artificial intelligence, given what you've created. And that was really the foundation for uh, where we are today. So you can see, you know, a lot of, of pivoting, a lot of tinkering and experimenting, but ultimately ended in a pretty good spot. That's, that's great. Uh, definitely have enjoyed, you know, following the journey on, on your side. You know, and just to take it to the conclusion, you recently sold the company. Would love to just hear that process to the extent you can you can talk about it, you know, psychologically, right? You build something, you have this opportunity. How do you evaluate that? Yeah, I mean, what a life experience. I feel like I've gotten the luxury of learning a ton in a really compressed period of time. And what we saw... Um, was a lot of market activity around consolidation, groups that were interested. And, you know, ultimately what you have to do is evaluate your purpose, why you built the company, where you see it going, and determine can we go there faster on our own or potentially with the support and backing in a new context. So I think People that have gone through that experience will acknowledge it's a lengthy experience. You want to try to understand each other as much as possible to make a great decision. And uh, so over a period of months, uh, we interacted with LexisNexis, uh, who ultimately acquired us, and saw that it was a great fit, uh, both culturally and from a product perspective, and that it was a kind of one plus one equals three or four type of experience where their data, their solutions coupled with ours actually provided the market with a better all around solution than what we were able to provide on our own. Well, Cole, it sounds like maybe, you know, you've alluded to maybe some lessons that we're going to talk about a bit later, but before jumping into the biggest lesson, would love to hear your perspective on how you've seen, you know, sort of the tech ecosystem grow and evolve in Colorado over the last few years and what you're excited about here. Yeah, there's a ton to be excited about, and it has changed a ton. I mean, I founded Flyreel as a company in 2013, So, but I've lived in Colorado. I grew up there and have seen it evolve. Cole, how many people with the name Flyreel assumed because you're in Colorado, you were building a fly fishing app? <laughs> almost everyone. Almost yeah. everyone. Look, and I'm not great at marketing, clearly. <laughs> I'm not great at branding. I'm a software engineer trying to, to do these other things, but... The situation in Colorado has changed and grown dramatically. I think, you know, I was listening to other podcasts. I thought someone described it really well, where in the past, the epicenter of all activity was Boulder. And now it's really expanded into being Boulder and Denver. And the ecosystem has grown and matured a lot. I mean, y'all weren't here before. Uh, there really weren't any other funds outside of Foundry. And that was the case when we were trying to get funded getting off the ground. Techstars was still pretty early, and but was there and very helpful. Uh, but now you're starting to see these early stage funds come into play. 
you're seeing a lot of outside capital come in. We had Gradient Ventures that did our seed round and you're seeing some great success stories and an infusion of additional angel capital as a result of that. And so it's, it's just a really exciting time. Cool. So Cole, is there one company here in Colorado that's an early stage company that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, um, there's a company called Anuvi that uh, I'm particularly excited about. The founders have an outstanding product background uh, from Guild and other uh, local startups, and um, they're very hands-on, and they've got healthy conviction around a problem that is largely going unsolved. It's not a popular problem. It's around COBRA and benefits. So they're tackling a big market issue with a lot of opportunity and they've got incredible DNA. So I think in terms of foundations as a startup, they've checked all the boxes and I'm very excited for them. Yeah, I think obviously, Cole, we, we know those guys really well, like them as well. I think one of the things that's particularly exciting for us from an ecosystem perspective is to see founders that are spinning out of some of the existing successes here, right? And that's the type of fly flywheel, not flywheel, <laughs> that we uh, we at Range certainly have bet on and, and are starting to see a lot more of, right? And I think we'll see a lot more of that in the years to come. Maybe some spin-outs from Flyreel, you know, in the next yeah. few years as well. Well, wanted to get into uh, why we're here, Cole, which is to hear about your biggest lesson. Obviously, you've learned a lot, even in the last few months with what you've gone through with your company. Would love to hear what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your career. Um, how'd you learn it and how do you apply it? Yeah, I think that maybe you've seen in the conversation we've already had that I've got a belief that gotta be exceptional and by exceptional, I'm not necessarily saying exceptionally great, but everyone has to kind of rule by exception, I think, because there's no consistent way to achieve success every single time in a startup environment, right? So you have to find your path and having now gone through this experience, I was really fortunate to get a lot of great advice, but along the way, I've kind of learned that everyone's a little bit wrong. They're speaking from their experience, but in your particular case, it might be a bit more nuanced. You've got to find your own path. And uh, that applies to how you fundraise, where you start your company, the people that you hire. You've got to have your own convictions and not necessarily try to emulate uh, the folks that you see that are ex- that are succeeding in market, right? It works for their business, but it might not work for yours. So you've got to pick, choose, and learn from folks and then kind of marry that together and define your own path. I absolutely love that, that lesson. There's a lot we can dive into on, on this one. Would love to just hear, maybe start with, what's a point at which you learned that yourself, right? Is there one particular example where you maybe, you know, went left when everyone was telling you to go right? Yeah, fundraising. You know, I really, you know, in the beginning was not very good at fundraising. And so I wasn't very successful at fundraising. And I pitched a number of angels, a number of funds, and wasn't really going anywhere. Uh, And in that process, I was given a lot of advice. Some of that advice was, you know, you've got to have, at that time, you really should be in the Bay Area, right? I, I imagine you guys remember this period where if you really wanted to start a startup, you needed to be in the Bay Area. The Colorado ecosystem wasn't that developed. And so folks were saying, look, you got to get out there. So I'd fly back and forth, back and forth on the Southwest direct flight and try to convince folks to to invest. And then ultimately, I you know live in two places now. I live in the Ozarks and I live in Denver. We had run out of money 
kind of personally and as a business. And so to keep things going, my wife and I moved out to middle nowhere in the Ozarks to reduce our expenses and give it a go. And we kept building the company to the point where there was a good proof of concept. And eventually we got our first angel check. And so if you look back at, at that time, the conventional wisdom was you can't get funded unless you're in the Bay Area. And ultimately, we had to move out to the Ozarks in uh, rural Southwest Missouri to get the foundation in place so that we could get funded. And it goes against a bit of, of kind of the norm at that time. And that's when I started to question a lot more the advice that I was getting because that advice came from brilliant people who were really successful, but it wasn't the path for us. So Cole, how did you um, overcome sort of the, you know, maybe the imposter syndrome to be like, really, should I not listen to this experienced advice and blaze my own path? And I feel like that's where a lot of founders sometimes get caught up is they actually do have all the context, right, for what's going on to make their own decision. But you you have these experts saying, no, 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 right, type of thing. How did you sort of stick with your inner compass through that and do your own thing? Yeah, well, I think that that's an exercise I'm still going through, right? And you have to slow things down and really understand the context of the advice that's being given to you at that time, right? Who's giving it? Where are they currently in their career? What are the problems that they're solving on a day-to-day basis? And that's why this podcast in particular is so interesting. I have listened to a number of the episodes and you can really picture and see where each founder entrepreneur is in their journey. You'll hear, you know, things about scaling values and, you know, someone listening that may be starting a startup and they're just employee number zero. And that's really not where they need to focus, right? So you've got to kind of take things in context. So the way I'd, I'd summarize it is experience is, an ex, is not an excuse to not think, right? So a lot of people share their experience with you. Don't let that be the conclusion. You've got to use that as input to then arrive at the correct outputs. And so that's just the way I shape advice as it comes in now is you try to understand this person's gone through an experience. There's a lot to learn from. And I'm supposed to take from this, but not necessarily draw the conclusion directly uh, in line with their experience. So in any case, I still sometimes feel like an imposter uh, for people listening to this, but that's really the, the decision criteria in my evaluation matrix for when I'm receiving advice is understand the context, the person, why they're delivering this, and then really stew on it and try to figure out how to best apply it. So, so let me flip that on its head because I'm sure now, you know, given the successful company and the successful exit you've had, people are coming to you for advice about how to build their company now, right? And now Cole is the expert on it. How do you, you know, when you give advice, how do you keep that same lesson in mind when you're working with other founders or other people building early stage companies? I think I try to caveat uh, the advice uh, very explicitly with this is really rooted in my experience. And one of the you know two-time founders, three-time founders, one of the most dangerous things can be their own bias from the previous experiences kind of cr- encroaching in in their next thing. And so what I try to do is just call out very explicitly, this is rooted in my experience and here's what that experience was. And here's the thought process that went behind that decision. 
and why I thought it was the right one. So I'd say that's how I do it because I don't think folks understand sometimes the weight of their words. When you've got a founder that's hungry and really pushing to make a dream come true, you know, they really hold high investors and um, funds and will sometimes even take their advice very literally. Uh, and so it's just important to carve that out and put those asterisks in there. Yeah, I think, Cole, that's something that Adam and I are realizing, you know, the more we do this is what type of advice should we have strong conviction about when we work with founders and what type of advice should we either heavily caveat or or I don't know what's a stronger version of heavily caveat, but, you know, put big asterisks by it. And I think we're learning to focus more on things that can be very tactical, right? Like, hey, this is the point in the company where we've seen it be really helpful to hire a head of finance, right? Here's what a great, you know, CRO looks like. You know, here's tactically how you can run a fundraising process. But I think when it comes down to a lot of like the big strategic questions or product questions or things like that, I think that's where you you either have to caveat your advice or you have to step back and be like, well, how can I just support you as a founder? Well, you go solve that, right? At least that feels like a lesson we're learning about where to have strong conviction versus not when we give advice to founders. I think that's perfect. And, you know, even when you do have that strong conviction, just explaining a bit of why. I I think there are some things I'm just not interested in, right? And so just saying that out loud, I think is important. And that's one of the things that I saw. There are accelerators, there are all sorts of things. And, and as I dove in and building Flyreel, you know, when I'd look at the schedule, look at, look at the routine of partaking in one of those, you know, I ultimately, while I thought it was an incredible program, I thought, I just, this isn't really what I would enjoy doing right now. I want to sit down. I want to write code. I want to get this to a viable product. And I don't want it to go through a branding workshop. <laughs> and look, we've joked about our name already, so maybe I should have. But, you know, you just get these convictions of things you, you really enjoy and you don't. And calling those out is totally a fair game. I think it's one of those things, too, where founders, ultimately, a company is going to be successful or not based on, as you mentioned before, the founder really kind of being exceptional in some element, right? And that's forming the culture that's having the product vision and strategy. And the company's going to sink or swim on that. You, you can't just go create a Frankenstein out of 50 people's advice and build a successful company that way. Right. Completely agree. So, yeah, it's something that we, we work with, uh, as Chris mentioned, work with founders uh, a lot on. How do you think about taking this, this piece of advice um, beyond founders and maybe with employees? Is this something that as you've built out your company, you know, you've imparted in your employees as they think about their career, career path within Flyreel? I hope so. I think that I'm still constantly developing. So there are things that in hindsight, you know, I wish I had done differently in the beginning, but I do hope that that's the case for, for all of our employees. And over time, if we start to see folks at Flyrail go on and create businesses, I'll feel really, really good about that. But yes, I think, you know, they've seen, and as you go through harder times in particular as a business, maybe you expected to raise on a certain date and you didn't. Slowing down and articulating what's going on and communicating clearly the thought process, how we're going to get through this, is a good way to demonstrate independent thought, um, the ability to kind of look at the situation around you and construct the ideal solution for the company in that time. 
So I hope that they've seen that, not just from me, but from the leadership team as a whole, and that they put that into practice in their careers. Awesome. Well, Cole, now that you have been acquired, what's the future hold for you and Flyreel, and how can our listeners follow what you're up to? Yeah, so the future for me and Flyreel, you know, we've gone through a really exciting time where we took the business from zero to one, and now the goal is to take it from one to 100. And that's an experience that I've not yet had. I'm really excited to do it. It's a huge opportunity to scale what we've created. The market wants it. The market has signed up. They expressed a vote of confidence in us. And uh, we have nearly 50% of the insurance market engaged uh, with our business. So now how do we ramp that up and turn our experience into the standard for that industry? And that's where we are. And uh, I'm not about to go anywhere until that vision is fully uh, implemented. And I'm more excited than ever. In terms of following us, I think we're a B2B enterprise. So little less uh, tweet focused and Twitter focused, and you won't see a ton of content coming out of us, but we're actually pretty engaged in you know, Denver Startup Week, InsureTech Denver. Uh, we do post a bit on LinkedIn, but I would just encourage folks, you know, look us up. We're in your community and we're pretty excited to grab coffee and meet and uh, share experience and be helpful uh, where we can. So really connecting on LinkedIn, as weird as that sounds, I probably sound super enterprise, <laughs> but, but that's that's the best way to catch us. And, and we would love to, to connect and see if there's anything we can do to support the community. Cool. Thanks so much, Cole. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you guys. Take care.